Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. I the name Leighton Ford, who is an associate evangelist with the Billy Graham Crusades. Leighton Ford has said that there are three strands of evangelism. He said one of them is the witness of fellowship, another the witness of service, and the third the witness of proclamation. Fellowship, service, and proclamation are speaking the word. It's on these three statements that I would like for us to dwell this evening to talk about a church at witness. I don't know if you've ever been on a witness stand in a trial. One of the things that you will soon discover if you ever are that you don't give an opinion unless you are declared officially an expert witness. Then you may give an opinion. On a few occasions, I have been declared an expert witness in certain areas and have been allowed to testify, uh, and I did not have to state facts. I could state my opinion based upon the fact that in a given area, the judge considered me to, to be an expert. In most areas, I would not have qualified. But when you go on the stand, you're not asked to give an opinion about anything, you're asked to state the facts as you know them to be, what your experience has been, what you have seen, what you heard. A direct reference must be made to those things. And I believe that this is one of the issues that we face within the church today. Oftentimes, our witness, our testimony is secondhand, what somebody else has said instead of what we know for ourselves. This will be a poor witness. If all you know about Jesus Christ is what you have heard from me or from a Sunday school teacher or from somebody else, you'll not be a very good witness for the Lord in this revival or in any other time in life. The only thing that will mean anything is when you state what you know because you've had an experience. When you do that, it will be reckoned as having value even by the lost because it's easy to see through somebody who is giving secondhand information. It is difficult to tear down the witness of somebody who knows firsthand. You just about can't do it. If he knows, he knows. The early church was the beginning of the evangelistic campaigns that still go on even today. And that first evangelistic campaign conducted on the streets of Jerusalem resulted in 3,000 men being saved. And they were baptized because of the witness not only of the message that Peter preached, but the testimony given by 120 of his followers, of the followers of Christ. 
But what made them successful? Why were they capable of reaching not only on this one occasion, but the very last verse that we read in this chapter indicated that the Lord was adding to the church daily, not once a year during a revival, but daily those that would be saved, and they were being saved because of the witness of the people who had had an experience with Christ. We might ask then, why is it that we lack tremendous evangelistic campaigns such as been held from the days of the apostles even until recent times and you have told me about tremendous evangelistic campaigns that have taken place in the old church, maybe even in this building, I don't know. But then we've gone through those years of not much evangelistic efforts. We've seen 40-some people baptized in the last two years or so here from our church. And we might almost gloat over those figures when we start comparing them to other churches across the state. And you know that in the year 1987, we were the third church in the state of West Virginia in baptisms, taking into account all of the American Baptist churches, those with hundreds and hundreds of members. We were third as far as the number of baptisms were concerned. In 88, we were not that high in the list. So we might say this is great, but 40 people in two years by a congregation of this size, our witness probably is not as great as it ought to be. So I think it's time as we begin approaching revival to look at really what makes a church witness, in what areas does it witness, how do we draw how do we influence people for Jesus Christ? Now that brings me to Leighton Ford's three points. A fellowship of service and proclamation. As we look at number one, fellowship, the fact that we, the, the facts that we can find in this particular passage of Scripture tells us that these people, the early Christian people, were a group that were together. They weren't divided. They were not separated in, in any category. There soon began to be the separation. And there were divisions and differences of opinion on doctrine and procedure and so on that began to get in the way and personality conflicts that began to come along. And all those things began to happen because we're human and because the devil is still trying to make an inroad even into the midst of the church and destroy it if he possibly can. But in the early history of the church, these people were a together group of people. And I'm saying, with that reservation, that if any church in this nation of ours, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, or whatever they might be, are going to have an impact upon the community in the, to save souls that are lost, it's going to be because we're together. We're of one mind and one heart. 
Without that, we cannot possibly expect to achieve very much. It's got to be a together approach. You would think that after 200 years or so of history in the United States that we would have reached everybody for Christ. But we know the statistics do not indicate that. Although some 60 plus percent of the people in the United States belong to church, all of those church members are not saved people. And it's a fallacy for us to assume that church membership and salvation are identical. Because one belongs to a church has nothing to say about his salvation. As a matter of fact, Billy Graham on one occasion when I heard him speak said that the greatest mission field in all the world is within the church. We need to see our own people saved. When that is accomplished, we will have begun to make inroads into the evangelistic field. One way to do that is through fellowship, that is through a togetherness. Now we cannot possibly be a Christian, well, let me rephrase that. It is difficult to be a Christian in isolation. It is difficult to live the Christian life unless one associates and fellowships with people who are of like mind and heart. Don't think that you're going to have much impact upon saving souls if you're going to try to do it by yourself because you're not going to succeed. You're going to put your little bit with my little bit and everybody else's little bit and we're going to come forward with a united front. This united front of belief and faith and fellowship is going to make an impact. Togetherness will achieve something. Separation will destroy whatever there is. They came together and they even shared everything. They even sold their homes and so on uh, to, in order to, to share even those things that they had with others who did not have anything. They shared everything in common. They considered themselves a family. And indeed, that's what a church is. And as a family, it is our responsibility to look after each other's needs and to share what we have with those who do not have, not just physical things, but spiritual things as well. The inner strength that we talked about this morning will become important at that point. And the scripture tells us that as the world looked at this early church, and saw them as a group of people that were united together, they were amazed and said, Behold how they love each other. In that we have strength, and in the lack of that we have weakness. Because love is the distinguishing factor of Christians that makes us different than any other group of people. The one thing that separates us is the fact that we love each other and we love Jesus Christ as our Savior. There is a need, I think, of a sense of community. And by that I mean there is a need for us to recognize that we must be together. We must be together. We must fellowship. Sometimes we think that a lot of the social functions that we conduct are uh, really not necessary. Let me tell you, 
Some of the social functions that we conduct preach more gospel than is preached from this pulpit. Because there can be a, an intermingling in our hall downstairs when we meet Saturday night for fellowship that will not be experienced up here. We will commune with each other and talk with each other and joke with each other and discuss things amongst each other we don't do here in this formal setting. It is of value and importance that we can come together and love to be in each other's presence. The early church went from home to home and they ate together and they shared together. And the non-Christian community took note that they were people that fellowshiped one with another. Fellowship attracts. It draws. And when we can fellowship with each other, then we will begin to reach out and draw those into our group that we might not ever do any other way. And therefore, witness to them for Jesus Christ. All right, the second point that Leighton Ford makes is that uh, uh, revival can come through service. I want to use the title uh, on this particular point, there is compassionate service amongst Christian people. The early church was interested in the physical needs of those about them. And sometimes a church has a tendency to think that our only purpose is to be spiritual, to preach, to teach, and pay no attention to the physical needs of the community, of the people in the community. This is why in our five-year plan that we have developed, and after we get our building done, we're going to come back to more emphasis upon the five-year plan. In that five-year plan, one of the things that we have said that we're going to do is be consciously aware of the needs of people in the community and endeavor to reach out to them in service, whatever that need might be, whether it's clothing or food or, or sitting with somebody who is ill or taking someone to the doctor or doing whatever. A Christian is one who finds his faith at work in doing for other people without expectation of any return. If we expect to have something in return, we're working. And we are expecting our labor to be compensated for. But in the Christian fellowship, much of that which we do with other people and for other people is not intended and should not be intended to get anything for us. No compliments, no names in the paper, no bragging, nothing of this sort. Simply doing it because we love Jesus Christ and our love dictates that we serve others as Jesus served. This is what he did when on the evening uh, that he had the Last Supper in that upper room and the disciples had failed to wash the feet of their brethren, that Jesus took a towel and wrapped it around his waist and took a pan of water and went down the row and washed the feet of all his disciples because he had come to minister, not to be ministered to. A church that will see revival is a church that will do whatever it can to assist other people in their times of need. And that's evidence 
of our belief and our faith. And in fact, it was on this problem of not really serving the needs of the community that the first problem came up in the church when some of the, those who were Greeks began to complain that their widows and their orphans were not being properly taken care of and didn't get their share of things when it came to food and clothing and housing and so on. That was the first concern that the church had was that their, the needs of their people, physical needs, were well taken care of. And sometimes the material needs of a person are so great that they can't possibly begin to hear us preach the gospel until we have ministered to them in service. This is one of the things that our missionaries find on the foreign fields. And that is when a person is starving to death, talking about the love of Jesus just doesn't cut it. It's got to be coupled with loving the body as well as the soul. You see, we cannot love the soul of a person separate from the physical. We love the person in his total aspect. Body, soul, mind, heart, the whole thing is all incorporated in our love. And as we do to one, so will we do to the other. And so in the name of Jesus, if it's nothing more than giving a cup of cold water, a church that will see revival is a church that serves the people of its congregation and the people of the community. And then thirdly, Leighton Ford pointed out that a church revival is centered around proclamation. Proclaiming something. There are some things that have to be said. We might say, you can see my faith by what I do, and I don't have to put it into words, and that's probably pretty good. It's somewhat like the, uh, the woman who was complaining to her husband that he never told her that he loved her. He just never said those words. And she was complaining on one occasion uh, that he never told her that he loved her. And he said, well, I married you, didn't I? Assuming that that was sufficient. But one time, way back there, under uh, duress, he might have said, I love you, and that's supposed to be sufficient for all times. I think we need to say to each other, I love you. Not just husbands and wives, boyfriends and girlfriends, but we as Christian people to each other. Now listen, if we can't say those words, something's wrong. We've got to say them. Don't automatically expect that we understand that we love each other because God loved us. We've got to love. That doesn't necessarily hold water. Let's say to each other that we love each other. That's a verbal witness. And if we can't say to our fellow brethren we love each other, you bet you we're not going to say to the stranger on the street, to the sinner down the road, that we love him as well. If we can't say we love each other, how on earth can we possibly say we love God?
Yes, a good example is important. But the words need to come out of our mouth that there is a demonstration of our faith in what we say. And those words must be genuine because people will see through our falseness. It isn't long until we know if a person is flippant in their attitude in what they say, until we see the real person coming out. So let's have the inner heart of our very being be of such close relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ that what comes out of our mouth is the truth. And if we say, I love you, we say it because we mean it. And that will have impact. Our witness must come out of our mouth at times, at work and at play, wherever we are, as we deal with people with whom we work and associate on a daily basis, it ought to be possible for that stranger, for that sinner who has no connection with this church to know that you are a Christian in two ways, by what you do and by what you say. And if they don't match up, brother, he's going to question your honesty and integrity. They're going to have to match. I'll never forget as long as I live, and I was just a preteen at the time, in a revival meeting, the pastor of the church came out of the pulpit and went to the back row where sat a relative of mine. And I looked, I turned my head, you know, I was supposed to be looking forward, but I didn't. Because I wanted to know where he was going or what he was going to do. He went to this relative of mine and I read his lips. The preacher said, are you a Christian? And I read the lips of my relative and he responded, yes. And I thought if anybody has to ask, there's some reservation. But that man, who was a relative of mine, had not demonstrated in that church his belief in Jesus Christ, although he was a member of it, because it had not even been evident to the preacher. And let me tell you, you can get a lot of things by the preacher, but you can't get them by the rest of the congregation. Because you see, the preacher is basically a stranger in the community. And you know a whole lot about each other that I don't have the slightest idea about, and most of those things I don't want to know about. But you all know it. And there ought to have been a witness in that man's life that there would have been no question that he was a Christian. But there was a question. And so the question was asked. And the answer was given. I believe the man was saved. But I believe his testimony had gone down the drain. He was leading nobody else to Christ. He was giving no positive appeal to the community to come know my Christ. He wasn't living it and he wasn't speaking it. And that detracted from revival. We're a
approaching quickly. There are three ways that we're going to have revival. We're going to have revival when we love each other. That's number one. Secondly, we're going to have revival when we will do for each other without reservation. If it even means washing our dirty feet. And thirdly, we're going to have revival when out of our mouth comes the word of Jesus Christ. That is backed up by our testimony, by what we do. Are we ready for revival? Are we going to see souls saved? Because we're a church of witness. Through fellowship, service, and through proclamation. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at James sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.